Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us at the 2020 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Matt Kilby. I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. It is my pleasure to introduce our next panel, Careers After Sports. Our panelists today are Super Bowl champion Justin Tuck, current vice president, Goldman Sachs, Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson, former world number one US Open winner Andy Roddick, NBA champion Meta World Peace, and television anchor and reporter for ESPN, Michelle Steele. The panel will be 45 minutes and we'll hold 10 minutes for questions. We ask that if you have questions, put them out through Twitter with the hashtag careersaftersports. With that, I'll hand it off to Michelle. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. So I used, to, I used to live in Boston. I've been coming to Sloan forever since before ESPN when I used to work for Bloomberg. This is before he, I guess, was a presidential aspirant. Um, but I've been coming to this conference for a very, very long time. And I always wondered, you know, um, why there aren't more Boston athletes on panels. But we got the next best thing, which is professional athletes who have beat Boston teams on this panel. <laughs> right? Justin, I, you know I'm right. I, I wanna, Meta, you know I'm right. I want to be in Boston in one piece, so. <laughs> OK, you want, you want to have a calm train ride sure. back to New York yep. City is what you're saying? Exactly. All right. So the theme of this panel basically is careers after sports. And I'm assuming there's not a lot of professional athletes in the audience today. Maybe there are a few here and there. But it's all about ultimately transitions. And I think transitions are hard for anybody. 75% of Americans, I read, expect to make multiple career changes in their lifetime. This is not job changes. These are literal career changes. But how do you do it when the career that you're leaving behind is the only thing you've known since childhood in a lot of cases, and you've achieved this on the field success that really people can only dream about. And by the way, that career change is playing out in public. Everybody knows what's going on. I'm really honored to host the panel today with some of the most athletically talented and tenacious people who have managed to navigate this transition following sports. Uh, successfully, and they're going to tell us how, they, how they've done it. And it's a process, you know, it's a process for us all. So I'm just going to open this up to the entire panel. What do you remember about leaving your sport and knowing that you were leaving your sport for good? Just uh, Andy? I, I'll jump in. I, I woke up one morning and uh, at 10 a.m. decided that I was going to retire and retired at 4.30 that afternoon. So it wasn't really. Um, Is that and, true? And, yeah, and I was in the middle of uh, a tournament. So I finished that tournament and that was, that was it. And I, I, have, I have kind of a backward story. I, I don't know. Uh, this was in 2012? I, it was in 2012. I'm not sure why. I, I just kind of it was the pros and cons of keep going. And for me, it was once I didn't believe that I could actually reach where I wanted to go, right? And, you know, having to get through, you know, you see the th who are now the three best of all time lined up on the side of the draw and like, can you go through that over the course of two weeks? And once I was lying to myself um, about what I believed, it, it felt like work for the first time uh, ever. So it was a pretty straightforward. So I 
retired and then played another week of tennis into the second week, and then, uh, and then that was it. And it's been a, you know, I, I hear a lot of kind of nightmare stories, but it, I, maybe the fact that it was kind of clean and it wasn't something I had kind of been uh, tormenting myself with over a period of time might have, might have made it a little bit easier, actually. I think, like, when I, when I retired, I still wanted to play, actually, because I played 18 years uh, in the NBA. And uh, I remember I wanted to get the 20. So uh, I didn't reach all the goals that I wanted to. Mm. So when I actually retired, it was, it was a little bit bitter. And I remember the next day I woke up, I was a little nervous and scared about, you know, I've been focusing on defense for my whole life. What am I going to do now? And I didn't believe I can do anything else. But I woke up that morning, I applied for UCLA uh, uh, digital analytics class. <laughs> Online, like on a computer? Online. Um, I, was just, I did uh, business analytics at Concordia Irvine, Google Analytics in Vancouver. <laughs> and I was just like figuring out what I was going to do. And then I said, I was either going to get into like finance or, or, or analytics. And, um, but it, it really took me... That night was a rough night, but the next morning when I got up, it was better because I made a decision that I'm going to take on another challenge. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I kind of transitioned. And that was, I think that was five years ago. Okay. So I'm pretty happy now. Justin, what about you? You know, when you leave the NFL, you know, when I go to retirement press conferences from time to time for guys who have played in the league, it always hits me that it's not even that they can pick up the game again in the rec league, right? Yeah. I mean, when you leave the sport, when you leave the NFL, you're leaving football for good. There's no yeah, old-timers no games, you know, in your future. Yeah, me and uh, Meta talked about this backstage. Yeah, there's no pickup games for, um, for football. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, my process was pretty similar to Andy's in the fact that I, I woke up and I just knew... Um, that I was, I was done. And for me, it was more like, you know, I, I, I didn't have the same passion to go train, um, to go prepare my body for the season. We, we went through, my agent was calling me every day trying to get my thoughts on uh, new contracts and so on and so forth. And I just, I just woke up one morning, like, and it was like as clear and as liberating as any other decision I've ever had in my life that, you know, I, I never really wanted to be known as a football player anyway. I think mm. I've cheated the system coming from Kelton, Alabama to, to do the things that I've done. So I thought I was kind of you know, playing with house's money anyway. Um, so for me, it was, it was always about you know, using that platform to do something different. And, and at that time in my life, um, a lot of opportunities were presenting themselves and I was you know, calm. You know, constantly for the first time, not sure that I wanted to play football. And I always had said that the day that I wasn't sure was the day that I knew that that was the right time to leave it. And I've always wanted to leave the sport when they wanted me to stay. I didn't want to be the guy who stayed too long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever your, your thoughts is about legacy, I never wanted to be that guy that everybody looked at. I was like, yo, he's just playing for a check. Um, I never wanted to disrespect the game that way. Um, so, you know, luckily for me, I kind of made a lot of, you know, um, relationships uh, through football and through sport that I could lean on. And I just started calling people and, and asking their advice, people who had been in similar situations. And it led me to go back to Warden, get my MBA, and try to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and the same thing with, with, with Meta. It was 
it was, do I go this route, do I go this route? And uh, a lot of things led me to finance, and you know, that's kind of how I found myself now. Sean, what about you for gymnastics? The career is exceedingly short, and you're extremely young when the game ends. Uh, yes, so I made the Junior Olympic National Team when I was nine. I made the US Olympic National Team when I was 12, and then retired when I was 16, and went back to high school. Um, I, 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 I think I wet my bed till I was 13. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so for us, I mean, there truly is no planning. Nobody prepares you at You're not preparing at 14, like, no. I'm gonna coach when this is done. Yeah, like, what should you do after your retirement? Prepare for your life. No, I just, I had to go back to high school. And I had so many career aspirations after gymnastics. I wanted to become a surgeon. I wanted to do all this stuff, but the limelight of the Olympics threw me into just a different career that I tried to make a comeback because the world kept telling me I wasn't done in gymnastics, even though I felt like I was. Went back into the sport and same with everyone. I woke up one day and was like, this just isn't for me. I'm pushing something that I'm not supposed to. It was the first time it felt like work and not play and retired officially at 18, so. <laughs> wow. It reminds me, I was um, working the spelling bee for ESPN one year, and I had to interview the top 10 spellers as they were coming out of the bee. And I asked one, you know, what are you going to do now? And he said, I'm going back to fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a similar situation in gymnastics. You are so young at that age. But after having so much, experiencing so much success, right, at that early, early age, what is it like kind of jumping into these areas? You know, I know you've got a media company now. You're, you're jumping into the podcast world as well. What is it like jumping into these areas where, listen, you are an elite athlete. You're not used to being a novice really at anything. What is it like kind of resetting? For me, it was just like this long evolution of when I was 12, I had my first contract put in front of me. And I started kind of being on the sidelines of my own career and my own brand from the time I was 12 to the time I was 20. I had a team of people telling me what to do, how to act, what to say, what to wear, all these companies and like putting endorsements and sponsorships behind me. And it was around 19 or 20 where I just got tired of it. And I said, I, I don't wanna do this for you guys anymore. I wanna do it on my own. I wanna tell the world my own story and not have you guys edit it. So ended up transitioning into, as our generation is doing, YouTube, where I was kind of delegating and navigating my own, um, my own story. And with my husband, we started creating these shows that took off. Uh, we learned the analytical world, the media worlds, um, marketing worlds, and started writing all of our own contracts. We have grown it into a media company now where we consult um, on ambassadorships and marketing and kind of the new digital world to Fortune 500 companies. And it's been crazy, but it all started because I was a kid thrown into the limelight and had no idea what to do and had to kind of navigate my way through it. Is that something that you guys can relate to a little bit, like having, having experiencing the feeling of sort of humbling yourself, like being a rookie again in a lot of different ways, but after you're done with your main career, what is that, what is that like? Um, yeah, being a rookie again, that was, that's, uh, that's a great way to put it. Because when you're in the limelight, everybody's rooting for you, cheering your names. And I remember when I first started uh, raising money for my company, uh, I, I was never in this world. So my first pitch deck was stuff I wrote. And I thought I could actually go into a meeting and raise money 
it's something with a pen and paper. And I was, uh, you know, I was, welcome to the real world. So then I had to buckle down and um, I started to go to all the conferences and by myself. And I, I would go to the uh, Warren Buffett uh, shareholders conference by myself. I just started to. By yourself. By myself. Love you know, um, I just started to try to humble myself and get out of the limelight of, you know, having to have fancy cars, having to have the jewelry. You know, when you're an athlete, that's what, you know, uh, well, some athletes, not every athlete, but we like that, that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And um, I even reverted back. I bought a Prius in 2014. I wanted to just all the way back up and say, okay, you know, this is a whole new world. And just because you pull up in a nice car doesn't mean, you know, you're going to get that partnership, <laughs> you know, and I had to humble myself. And by doing that, I, I, I started to feel more comfortable, you know, when I started to get in rooms with, you know, different partnerships or different investors and different things like that. Because there's a language, I don't know, you, you can attest to this, but it's a language that I've never spoke to, I wasn't familiar with. Yeah. You know, it took some time to adjust. Well, if you, if you think about it, right, as, as athletes, let's just go with the first part of our lives. As athletes, how much time in the gym, on the court, on the mat, uh, on the field, have we put in to become the athletes that we became? How much practice, how much, how much running, weights, you know, nutrition, whatever you want to count, film work. We did that for years before we got to professionals. Right. I mean, I didn't turn professional until I was 21. Think about all the hours that we put in to perfect that craft before we stepped in that arena at that level. So why would we as athletes expect to transition into another arena that we know very little about and stay on that same level of being a, a, a Super Bowl champion football player. Think about right. all the things we, I right. did to get there. So now if I'm, if I'm transitioning to Wharton, the most demanding, and I know some other people got some other good schools out here. I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> crapping on your school. I'm just saying Wharton is a very demanding school. So why would I think that I was gonna transition from sports to that field and still stay on par when I haven't did any of the work to grow my, my level of knowledge to that part where I did all this work on as, as being an athlete. So for me, it just makes sense for you to humble yourself and start from ground one and start lifting the weights in this world, reading the books, going to the conferences, listening to the podcasts, mm. you know, studying whatever it may be that that has now gotten us to the level we are on the business side. And I think, you know, we, it's our egos, man. We get in our own way. I talk to so many people who are thinking about the same transition, and they look at me and I, they ask me, what's the main key? And I said, I mean, I basically say this, put in the work. You didn't expect as a six-year-old or, you know, you might have, because you probably saw that. <laughs> but you didn't you're expect, a veteran. You're a veteran at that point. You didn't point. expect as a six-year-old to be, you know, excuse me, sacking Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You didn't expect to be the number one tennis player in the world at six, right? You knew you had to put the work in. You didn't expect to be locking people down on the basketball court at six. So why do we expect to be transitioning into our business world and day one think that we're going to be the all-stars in that space? So it all comes down to just making sure that you, again, humble yourself, put the work in, and stop trying to reinvent the wheel. There's so many people who have done what we're trying to do in some lives. Go, go, go get a mentor, go get, find people who've done the things that you wanna do in life and learn from them. Because what I've understood is this, 
those people who have done it before you, they like to talk about how they did it. <laughs> yeah. They have egos too. And guess what? I'm very good at listening. I'm very good at just going and being a sponge on a wall and understanding if they made the, sa they made the mistakes for me, why would I go and make the same mistakes that they made when they can tell me this is something you shouldn't do, this is something you should do. And I think that for me has allowed me to be very efficient with my time and my growth in this next chapter. So real talk, did you start laying down the groundwork? You know, you talk about all of this preparation that you need to be as successful in that next chapter after sports as you were in sports. Did you start laying down that groundwork and preparing while you were playing? NFL stands for not for long. So And no fun. That too. <laughs> Changing a little bit. These millennial players are changing a little bit. Um, so for me, especially in a city like New York, every time we won a game, I was trying to figure out, I was going to the ticket people, like, who, who owns that box? Who, who, who owns that box? Because I was trying to make relationships. And, you know, again, we athletes try to play to our egos. I guarantee you I couldn't have made those relationships as I started trying to make them when I retired. I mean, Justin Tuck names, it rings bells in a smaller circle than it did when you're coming off of a big game or a Super Bowl, right? So when you're hot, use that platform mm. to go and meet the, the titans of business, the, the, the whoever it is that you want to kind of learn from. So that's what I did. Every offseason, I wasn't in Miami, you know, partying. No, I was in New York and in LA meeting people, making, making sure that I had those relationships for when I did decide to lead the game. Because at, at that time, I truly did not know what I wanted to do, but I knew if I could kind of cast a, a wide web of relationships of people that could help me make those decisions, of people who could guide me in that world, then I, 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 I gave myself a better chance to be successful. But I want to bring you into this conversation because you had wanted to keep playing in the NBA. So did you feel like you had a little bit of a disadvantage when the game ended in terms of preparing for that next stage in your next chapter in your life? Well, um, or had you already had plans and been sort of preparing? You know, I, I was still into the game, you know, and me getting in trouble so much in my, in my career, I missed, on, I missed out on so many awards. So I was early defensive player of the year, early all, all NBA all-star, and then at 23, you know, it kind of took another turn. So then I lost every single endorsement deal, uh, missed out on that All-Star game, missed out on the next couple of years and all the awards. Um, and I was lucky enough to win a title. So a lot, of the, a lot of the accolades you want when you look at the end of your career and you can say, I got this, I got this, I only got about 10, when I probably should have had about 20. So I'm still motivated mm. to do something great, mm. um, you know, in life. So. Uh, so that, you know, for me, it was a little bit bittersweet. You know, I'm still, I'm still like kind of motivated and passionate about doing something else great. How important was it for you to not be defined by the events of 2004? You know, malice at the palace or what have you. What, what, yeah. what, you know, how motivating was that for you to not let yourself be limited by that and be defined so narrowly by that? Yeah, you know, the, the, those events, um, I definitely didn't want to be defined by them, but knowing where I come from, I wasn't as worried, concerned as the public mm. because uh, in the NBA, getting in all that trouble, uh, 
back home. We, get, we did way worse things, you know, <laughs> than, than that. Um, you know, my brother, right before I went to college, my brother did 10 years in jail for drug trafficking. Um, my other cousin shot somebody, you know, shot, shot a cop, you know. Uh, it, was, it was things like that. Uh, you were at a tournament in high school where... In a tournament, one of, my, one of my buddies died on the basketball court, got a table, like, stuck, you know, put to his heart. And it was like, when you experience these type of things, um, uh, you know, it's, you're the only one that understands what you're going through. You know, at 19 years old, when I got drafted, I was fresh out the projects, you know, so I was still, I had this mentality, you know, of, you know, uh, wasn't thinking about business, wasn't thinking about relationships, you know, I didn't like anybody, you know, uh, very defensive, and then it took me a while to grow into, you know, something else. At what point during your career did you make the conscious decision to um, focus on what your future, you know, what that future was going to be? Well, it took a while. It took a lot of therapy. It took a lot of, you know, for one, you got to take care of yourself. So I don't care how smart you are. If you're not mentally healthy, you know, uh, that math degree is not, it doesn't mean anything. You know, so one, I wanted to take care of myself. So I did a lot of therapy, a lot of different things like that. Uh, got into Buddhism and breathing exercises and different things like that. And then when I was able to gain control of myself and I was happy with myself, then I was able to transition and, uh, you know, into other things. I want to kind of stay on that topic of the mental aspect of all of this because I think that when you are playing at this elite level and you know what your body can do and you reach a stage where you know also what your body can't do, are there challenges with kind of coming to terms with that psychologically? For me, one of the struggles um, as far as what your body can do, what you're capable of, uh, if I had to go back and kind of coach um, something I do well now in, in, in kind of the work world is work smartly as opposed to hard. If I would have gone back, I, re I retired at, at 30 and I felt like I, I would actually probably train less and be smarter, but there were the insecurities that I had. Um, you know, the, the, the people that I were, was trying to beat are these kind of all-time greats, and I knew I wasn't as talented as they were, so my rationalization with my, in my mind was, okay, I'm going to train harder, longer, give myself every opportunity. I never want to lose because I'm not prepared. Uh, I remember having a conversation, and actually, I think Alexis Ohanian just did a, a, a panel before us, so yeah. we probably all sound dumb because of that, but... Yeah. Um, I remember uh, Serena was in Austin, and Serena and I have known each other since we were, were kids, and it was probably 2007. I was probably three in the world, but she had kind of only played two tournaments for the entire year before. And she's like, oh, well, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, I got, I got to go do what I do every day. I'm going to work. I got to go train, and I got to go. She goes, all right, well, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come with you. And I said, okay. So we get to the, st the stretching part of, you know, kind of a track workout, and she's like, all right, I'm, I'm, my body doesn't feel, I'm going to shut it down. I'm like, shut it. I go, you have the most generous work-reward ratio I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so fast forward to, to 2015, um, I've, I've done five days of tennis broadcasting in my life, but I got to cover the, the semi, quarter semifinals of Wimbledon. And, and so I'm in the, kind of the BBC studio, and Serena walks in. I had this moment of realization where it's 2015, I've been retired for three years, I'm talking about her winning Wimbledon, and my way of just pushing, 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 you know, I was now covering her victories as, as opposed to being a peer, so mm. uh, I ended up being the dummy with that whole scenario, but um, I, I, I kind of wish I would have been, 
I, w I was too reactionary when I was playing. I wish I would have been a little bit more measured and a little bit more uh, thoughtful as opposed to being emotional about decision making, where in business I probably am, am maybe the opposite. I think gymnastics is a really interesting sport when it comes to the physical demands because you're finally seeing the sport shift where you're seeing older gymnasts who are in their 20s. Um, but back when I was competing, there was this mentality of it's children who are competing at the Olympics. And the only way to train an Olympic level child is to make sure that a child doesn't make mistakes because of their mind, because of how young they are and how naive they are and kind of that risk reward. So we would overtrain. I mean, we overtrained every day, every week for years. I was training 40 hours a week from the time I was 10. And even at the Olympics, we were training 12 hour days, four practices a day, just because the concept for a child back then was if she does it enough, there's no way she can make a mistake. And again, I, when I tried to go back at 18, my body was already shot and I, I couldn't do it again. But you're finally seeing people within our sport become smarter and more strategic and training smarter and not as hard. Yeah. And you're seeing now 23, 24, 26. There's even a 46-year-old competing at the Olympics this year. So what? gymnastics. And what yeah. event? Um, vault and beam. Wow. She okay. competes for Germany. Let's see TV. Yes. Wow. Yes. You know, Andy, I want to sort of put a pin on something that you said earlier in the panel, which was you stopped when it felt like a job, right? So I guess the inference there is that there was a real passion. There's a real passion for the game, the, the time that you were playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. And any, anything I've kind of gotten from this life is, is, is from um, my sport. And may, maybe just saying it was like a job. It, it wasn't like I went there every day and, you know, you, that you, we got, kind of get stuck in our own tunnel where we feel like the consequences of our sport are the biggest things in our universe at that time where when you kind of project backwards, the whole world's going on and they may or may not care about what you're doing. Um, but it, it was just a, it was, it was an interesting thing. Like I, when I didn't feel motivated to accomplish something, like you get out of bed, you have to have a reason for getting out of bed. We always have to try to get better. Yeah. I felt like when I felt like I was trying to like hang on, it really felt like work where I, for the first time I could relate to people who say, God, I have to get up and go to work. I hate my job. Like I hate my, we all hate our job some days, but yeah. every year I love my job. Maybe Wednesday I didn't like it or you know, whatever else it was, but it, it felt like, uh, like I was doing it because I was good at it, not because uh, there was something to shoot for. There was kind of a, a goal that you, were, that you were trying to reach. You know, I won two out of my last four events. They were lower level events that nobody would have been paying attention to. Um, you know, at, at 18 years old, uh, I would be like, this is amazing, this is the best, but it, it just, one, once I stopped like the, 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 the prize, I wasn't getting up in the morning, I was trying to like maintain a, mm. a former version of myself as opposed to actually kind of feeling like you're on the upswing and it was, it was, it was tougher from there. That's the, that's the kind of aspect of this that I want to get into because I think so many of us in this room want to be living purposefully and want to be finding what our passion is. And you could argue that all of you at a very young age found what your purpose was, found what your passion was. So what was it like trying to, I guess, what is it like now putting your energies to try to take the place of, of that, that thing, that passion? Or purpose that you had when you were playing. I mean, I'll jump in. I remember uh, 
during the press conference when I announced that I wasn't going to play anymore, and it was a surprise, you know, to kind of anyone in the in the tennis world. Um, and people are like, how are you going to replace it? I, I actually think that's the wrong way to look at it. I, I think if mm. you think you're going to replace that adrenaline rush, or I think that's maybe where athletes get into trouble, is they actually try to find things that will provide the same. They're trying to replace emotion as opposed to add emotion in maybe a different way and different satisfactions. And you know, there's 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 not often where. Meadows probably walking down the street, does something amazing and just yells at somebody now. You know, it just doesn't, yeah. the, the emotional conversation doesn't, and, and if you do, you should document it, because that's great content. But, um, but I, I, I just don't, documentary. Yeah. I just don't think it does it. I, I, I and, you know, it, it, you just can't replace it. I, I was lucky, I'm, I'm hearing these kind of versions of stories, and I think where the, the, the luckiest thing that happened for me was I have a, a great business mentor and friend, and um, I'm in an extremely boring commercial real estate business now, and that's kind of like the anchor of, of, of our uh, kind of financial lives. But we were lucky because we had our eyes on market opportunities while I was playing. So mm -hmm. it wasn't as if I retired, and then it was like, what am I going to do now? You know, kind of trying to figure it out. Um, I'm way too dumb to do an analytics class, so that was never an option for me. Um, but... You know, so we, we had capital from playing and we applied it towards, uh, you know, well, everyone was kind of going crazy. It kind of feels very similar to the last week or so. Um, we were all able to apply it and kind of build a business. So, um, you know, I was, I was four years, five years into that uh, business along with foundation stuff, along with whatever else. So um, for me, it was like I had more time for mm. those type of uh, endeavors as opposed to uh, kind of one thing dominating 97% of my brain space. What would you say about that, Justin? Are there guys that tried to, or did you try to match that passion, you know, um, that you got um, out of playing football into this next chapter? I never thought of it that way, to be honest with you. I agree with Andy in that fact. Um, I just wanted to make sure that whatever I was doing next was something that I knew I was going to love to do because I didn't have to do it. I knew, mm. you know, I'm a, I'm a country boy from Kelsen, Alabama. I could... I could ride off to the sunset and do nothing, go enjoy my kids and my wife. Um, but for me, it was more or less about legacy. It was more about my sons was not going to remember anything I did on a football field. At the time I retired, I, I had a, a, a um, four-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, so for me, yeah, I tried to do the golf and, 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 and retire thing, and I just knew that whenever my kids were going to turn 18, 21, whatever the age was going to be when they had to um, go off and, and be the young men that we wanted them to be, to be additive to the positives of this world, I just felt like I was not going to be looked upon from them as the blueprint or as you know, giving them some kind of runway to, to, to prepare them for that. So I knew I needed to go do something, right? So I started thinking about the things that I had been exposed to, the things that I felt like I could be additive to. Um, and again, like I said, you know, when I was playing, I had these conversations with ties of business throughout New York City, throughout you know, all different places in this country. And I just started asking them. They, they, I, I developed a relationship with all of them where they were brutally honest with me, and they, and they knew, because think about it, right? I grew up in a football locker room. I need, I don't, you don't need to fluff anything for me. Be as honest with me and direct with me as possible. And I built those relationships, and they gave me kind of some blueprints of things to look, think about. Um, and when I went to Warden, 
and I'm skipping a lot of the story, but like I'm, a lot of things happened that kind of pushed me to what I do now at Goldman Sachs. A lot of the relationships pushed me to it. And when I got there and experienced it, you talk about adrenaline. Yeah, I, I, football created such an adrenaline. But like for me, when I, when I started to like think about retiring football, that adrenaline had kind of subsided because it, at the end of the day, man, football is the same thing over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, people look at it and they think like, oh, you get to play in front of 85,000 people screaming your name or screaming other things. Uh, and that's great. Yeah, but it is. But I didn't have the ability to take myself out of that in the moment because in the moment you've done it for so long, it's your norm. It's not everybody else's norm. So that didn't necessarily create the adrenaline even more anyway. So now, if you think about it, I'm gonna pub what I do now just for a very quick standpoint, but like, I get to work with titans of business, owners, founders, CEOs. You wanna talk about adrenaline? Imagine seeing some of the names that come across my desk and they're calling me, asking me what I think about what's going on in the market. What I think about this, that, and the other. And yet you have to be on your P's and Q's because the person that's calling is smarter than you. They already know their answer, they just won't additive support to like help them, you know, quantify it. Right. And that's nerve wracking. Right. Because that's not my, you know, football was easy. I grew up playing football. I'm, I've learned how to do what I'm doing now. Um, so I felt like I was natural in that component. So yes, I totally agree with you. Don't, don't chase the, the adrenaline, chase what you're passionate about and what you're going to love doing. Because I tell my bosses all the time, the day that this job felt, feels like, the, my last days in football is the day I'm gonna be looking to do something else either. So if I if I'd have jumped in something because I'm I'm feeling like oh I gotta be adrenaline driven and I didn't love it, I probably wouldn't I wouldn't be there now. Yeah. Are so, you buying the market right now? Am I buying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I guess I can be honest with you. Uh, I think there's opportunities if you if you did your research, you know. And like, I'm a long-term investor, so I, I do think that it is a great opportunity to buy at a discount if you are doing the right sectors, the right things. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. I, Let's <laughs> I used to work for Bloomberg, so we'll, we'll talk We'll talk off a line. Um, you know, every athlete that I've ever covered, every team that I've ever covered has a goal. And that goal is very simple, right? And it's very tangible. Championship, gold medal, grand slam whatever it is, what defines success now? Growth, um, you know, I, there's not, you know, one thing that every basketball player is shooting for. There's not the kind of overlying, you know, uh, goal of Olympic gold or, or, or a Super Bowl. So, you know, probably similar to a lot of the businesses that, that Tuck looks at. I mean, year over year growth, right? Not getting stagnant, at least, at least for me. You know, you start off, uh, you know, with so many properties, and then ten, 10 years later, you want that number to have grown exponentially. You know, you you, you kind of want to wake up um, one week better than you were, and, and and also learn about different things. You know, that's one of the things I admire. I mean, uh, Justin and I got delayed flying out to LA like you know, it was three or four years ago. We ended up sitting next to each other, so we. We talked for a while, and I was I was just impressed that you know you're able to kind of pump the jacks. He, he's one of the only athletes that seems immune to entitlement. Um, we have a bad habit of that sometimes, especially coming out of uh, of careers. So um, you know, five years from now, I hope I'm, I'm involved as a as an angel investor in, in in 
areas and, and markets that I have no clue about today. You know, I, I think one of the general guidelines is look stupid once, and then if you don't ask the question to kind of fix your, your blind spot, then that's on you, you know? And, and so, um, you know, for athletes, uh, that, that's a huge thing. I think what you touched on earlier, knowing what you know is great, knowing what you don't know is probably more important, and attacking what you don't know even more important than that. Um, so for me, it's, it's not as obvious as, as, as kind of you were leading in your, in your question where it's this one thing. Right. I think it's a little bit more nuanced uh, in, in post-career, but I, I think the one word is, is, is growth and whether that's spiritual, whether that's, uh, you know, mental well-being, whether that's, you know, in the Goldman Sachs where, you know, I'm not making assumptions, but you probably care about financial growth at, at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think growth really matters. Yeah. I had read somewhere, Andy, that you've actually gotten rid of most of your trophies. Yeah, it, that, that's. <laughs> is, was that is that related to growth or kind of? No, it was we were moving and there's no place. Oh. Uh, there was it was no. It, the story broke and I, my wife, who's here somewhere, it was quoted as saying, "Andy threw all his trophies and went like, oh shit, he's lost it. He's gone. <laughs> he's out. He's gone. I, I I have like five. Um, okay. But we, a lot of them were, she got home and there's like nothing left in the room. She's like, where'd you put it? It's like, it's, it's in the dumpster. You know, you're an idiot. There's infighting. You know, it was, it was a whole thing. But um, <laughs> I, I just didn't, to me, it was, you know, a, a, a tournament in some place in the world. Like, yeah. it was like a thing. Like, right? It was like, I, I, I just didn't have much of an emotional attachment to it. I kept the ones that, like, when, when people come over, they want to see something or yeah. you, you, they're, they're tucked away. But we don't have, in, in our, House, I don't have anything out or any, you know, it's just, it, I was you wouldn't know. if it was part of kind of shedding that idea. It wasn't, I would love to give you some deep answer about like why I needed to shed the layers of my former life. It was, we were moving and they just looked ugly and they were just. Didn't fit in the box. So like useless. <laughs> so that was it. Do you feel like, and this is to the entire panel, do you feel like your identity has changed since your playing days at all? I I would say yes, but again, I feel like it's a little bit different for me because I was 16 and thought the only thing I was was a gymnast. I think it was a little bit different for me at the Olympics because, I mean, I didn't have the mental capacity to see past gymnastics. The only thing I had done since I was three to 16 was live and breathe flipping. And going back to high school, I felt lost as a human being because I couldn't do gymnastics anymore. I had reached the epitome of the sport, and people said, you know, go achieve another one. I didn't want to. So I, I lost my identity for years trying to figure out what it was. Just go be another high school kid or try to achieve success or greatness by the world's standards and something else. So it was, it was a lot of searching, but I, I definitely, like, I, I'm like Andy. I don't really have any trophies or medals or anything anymore. I feel like it's a different person in a different time. And it taught me a lot about what I do now, but I don't feel like a gymnast anymore. Yeah, to, to me, the weird thing is, is uh, you can, like in my day-to-day life, I, I'm happy operating in the shadows and being involved in things that people don't really know about. And I don't, you know, I, I think also athletes run into problems when they actually need mm-hmm. that former recognition that they probably used to have uh, daily. Um, it, it fades every year a little bit. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a weird thing now, whereas you used to kind of, you would win a match, and, there, and then the next day people would actually know 
you know, you win a Super Bowl, you win a championship. People would know. You'd walk around. Yeah, and it was like a, lot a of thing. People know. So now you have those big moments, whether it's you know on a foundational side or on a business side or on a you know you you exit a company you invested in or whatever. And so it's big for you, and you're feeling this thing. And like you, you know, you go to Starbucks and be like, "Oh man, that <laughs> match with Federer ten years ago, man, that was great." I'm like, "Yeah." Was, yeah. Oh, and cool. some other stuff too was fun, but you know, so, you know, so it, it's more of a. It, it's just str it's just strange because whenever you used to do something, there was like this entitlement that people would know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And it's fine. It's just a strange kind of dynamic between what's big in your world now. And if you would have had that moment in sports, it would have been kind of a storyline, or you would have been talking about it somewhere. And it's just, uh, it's a, it's just different. It's not better or worse or anything. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a different, different way to kind of uh, exist. Yeah, I was uh, talking to um, a former Olympian actually once who said the hardest part about leaving the sport was like not knowing what to say to the person next to you on the airplane. Mm -hmm. You know. I mean, for me. Um, I've always lived by the creed that, you know, since I retired, even when I was playing, like, if you remember me as only a football player, I've failed miserably of life. Um, I think everyone up here is a prime example of the platforms that sports does create for you. Yeah. And if, if you only use that platform for sports, for that which we right now are known for, uh, you failed. I, I truly believe that. And from, you know, I, it's annoying, to be honest with you, that I can't take a subway in, in, in New York. I would love to take a subway in New York. And my business partner is out here somewhere, and he knows. Like, it's, wash your hands. You go on Warren now, wash your hands. I was talking about way before coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's annoying that I, gotta, I, gotta, I can't take a subway because it's so easy to get around New York City. But you know, we go, if I go down there because I'm known for a football player, you're going to get harassed or mobbed or whatever it may be. Um, I just feel like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, I'm just saying, I'm just, I just feel like, you know, when I die, I just, I don't want to be known as a, as a football player. I just, I, that, for us, I think that, that would be an easy cop-out. And if you look at some of the people that are doing things in, that's great in sports or the transition from sports to business, they're, they're, they're setting, setting such a runway for us. And I, hopefully we are going to continue to do that for other, you know, generations that come behind us. But like. You know, for me, I'm excited to be, you know, doing something completely different and hopefully be known for something completely different. And that goes back to what Andy was saying. That, that is the definition of success for me. That's the definition of growth. You know, taking a talent and creating four or five talents from that, that, one, that one platform. So the last few minutes of this panel, we are going to take, there's a bunch of questions um, from the audience. One, one what are the differences between walking away from a team sport versus individual? I mean, uh, walking away what is it from, like a team sport from a team sport versus an team. individual, meaning? Um, a sport where you compete as oh, an individual. Yeah, like me or Sean. Right. Well, I mean, walking away from a team When I walked away from a team sport, I mean, I, I guess it's always a team, I think. You always, I don't know, if, even the boxers that are individual, I always feel like they need their team. Um, I don't know um, if you can do it on your own. But I get it, he's, you know, you, it's, it's all about you, but I, you, know, you have people supporting sure. you. Yeah. Please. I think it's pretty connected because if you are competing, I think the way you should be, you, if you walk away from the sport because you don't feel like you can be the best athlete individually, that means you can't be the best teammate 
for whoever it is you're competing for. So I think it's, it's difficult from every aspect of walking away from your teammates and retiring from right. kind of your family, but you're also doing good by them because you're making a decision not just for you, but for your team. I mean, I also think if I was walking away from basketball team, they're going to be okay. There's still 14 others where, you know, and so it's, you know, uh, and they're going to continue to go on as a team. You know, we, I guess individually, I don't know. I never experienced individual sports. I think inter we're going to yeah. keep bumping heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting, though, because when I think about when I retired, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel like I was walking away from the sport of football. I felt like the thing that I was going to miss the most was the connectivity with the teammates. I mean, like, for me personally, I, I, I appreciated the journey more than I appreciated what you saw as the end product, the games. The practices, the trips, the, the conversation, the laughs, the, you know, the locker room, the, the, the weight room, all that type of stuff. That, that is the hardest part for me to yeah. kind of replace. Um, there's some things I can do to kind of replace the, the glory of the crowd, right? But like those intimate moments with your teammates, those, those conversations that you had that no one else will know about, and, and, and yeah. those things are probably the things that live with you the most. The, the point of jealousy that I have with with team sports, I think the way that I would have viewed my own decision with retirement at 30, where I was no longer, you know, a first team all NBA guy or a, a Pro Bowl, but I was still useful. I could still, I, I wish, I would have loved to have been able to go to a team and try to provide some sort of leadership while scoring you know, 16 a game or in, in, in trying to like, you know, I, I, I get jealous of that where you can still kind of get the ultimate goal even if you're not the, yeah. the, the best version of, of, of yourself. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Um, so I do have a little bit of a, a source of jealousy. I think where, for me individually, I felt the responsibility. I was, you know, on the, uh, I was behind kind of the Mount Rushmore of, of, of U.S. tennis, you know, whether it was Andre and Pete and before that it was McEnroe and Connors and, you know, I always felt like, crap, I'm expected to hold up this mantle, but I'm just not as good as they are, <laughs> like, you know. So for me, it was, it, was a, it was a responsibility that I took seriously, so that was a, that was a hard part of, of, of my decision was you feel like you're kind of bailing on that responsibility a little bit, but as you think through it more, that's, that's it's kind of uh, irrational, I think. Yeah. I'm just curious, did any of you think about picking up another sport? You know, oh, being so young when you retired especially, Sean? Or Andy, just 30. I, I'm just not that good at much. Pulling a Lolo Jones and <laughs> doing a sled or curling me, or something. Was, I mean, golf. Um, right. I right. picked that up. Um, my wife <laughs> kicks my butt at tennis. Um, but yeah, I think golf is kind of like the natural. It's like the sport that I think that like most athletes try to like dominate next. Yeah, I, I love it. But also, from as it pertains to this conversation, it's also a great way to, you know, trap someone into a conversation for four and a half hours at a time where you're not going to stay on the phone with someone for four and a half hours at a time. So, um, you know, for me, it's created great business relationships exactly. as well. So, I mean, Are there athletes that you guys have looked to who you think have navigated this really well and hmm. have left or are leaving a legacy that you'd like to emulate? That's, that's, ooh. There's so many. I mean, I mean uh, one of the, sorry to... Uh, right, go ahead, go ahead. One of the, you know, obviously we know Kobe Bryant passed away, but Kobe was doing great things. Um, when I retired, and I actually called Kobe because I was trying to figure out 
how to get motivated and to take on a challenge, you know, of getting into a new business. And when you see, he actually offered me and Julius Randall, he was in the back of the bus. And this is right when Body Armor came out. And I'm saying, I said, Kobe, can we invest? <laughs> and he said, you serious? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we want to invest. Me and Julius, we want to invest. He said, okay. But we, we, we wound up not investing. And then he puts, you know, I guess $6 million in the company. And he exits 277. You know, I'm like, I text Julius, like, Julius, man, we missed out, man, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's just, um, and that, that's actually, you know, that's a, t a touchy subject, but I thought Kobe was one of the guys that I looked up to a lot with, with what he was doing. I mean, I was gonna say Kobe, but since you said him, I'll say another great basketball player. David Robinson has been such a phenomenal asset to me, um, not only as a man, but as a businessman, and it's just, He's, he's kind of poured in me, um, you know, things about, you know, my relationship with my wife, mm. um, dealing with, you know, having a, a wife that's so much more, you know, so much smarter than me, that's kind of taking a back seat to my aspirations, how to, how to truly support her in that and, and, and value her that as a father. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, David has been tremendous. And there's so many more, but, like, you know, personally, uh, I, I know that he's a person that I can call and he's been there. It goes back to like trying not to reinvent the wheel, um, having these type of mentors that have paid the platform or played the role for people like me to come and go behind them is, is tremendous. I think I, I always feel lucky to be kind of from, from the tennis vacuum because um, if, if we're de defined by the leadership in, in our businesses and our sports and in our areas, um, as far as social causes, um, I'm, a, I'm extremely proud of tennis, whether you're talking about you know, Arthur Ashe uh, back in the day or, or, or Billie Jean King uh, fighting for women's equality before it was uh, you know, popular on Twitter. Um, you look at Martina Navratilova uh, coming out in the 80s when she was number one in the world. Um, just these monumental choices and kind of leadership stances uh, Andre Agassi, what he's done uh, in, in Las Vegas through his charter school. You know, Roger was the, the lead ambassador for UNICEF, what Venus and Serena have done for, for literacy in the South, South Florida area. So um, tennis has greatly benefited from its leaders. And there's a trickle-down effect to where you're 17, 18 years old. You're like, I feel, actually feel like I'm behind. Like, I haven't done anything. There's nothing. Um, and so kind of building out uh, the framework of a foundation from there, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to have come from tennis. And tennis is, you know, it's not like you're on a different team where you can't talk to that guy or do anything. You know, everyone's available, you know, similar yeah. to, to what I imagine your relationship is with, with, with David Robinson. Just from what I heard you say, it's, it's like that across the board with, uh, with the icons of our sport. Two real quick rapid fire questions, um, one for Justin and one for Sean, and then an overall question before we wrap up. Um, Justin, very quickly, would you recommend NFL players sign the CBA? Um, I haven't had the time to actually go in the weeds of it, um, um, but what I hear, I, I think the concessions have been made to make it a fair deal. I'm speaking out of, out of highlights that I've been told about, uh, and so I'll, ref I'll, I'll, res I'll reserve my answer until I, I'm a lot, you know, able to kind of look at it and go through it. But I do 17th like the 17th game, that's a lot. There's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to, listen, I'll just be honest with you real quick. 17 games, doesn't mean I have to play 17 games. 
as a as a as a as a as a captain of a team or a guy like like if my body is not prepared to play 17 games, then I should be able to have that conversation with my coach, my my owner, and say, listen, right. you know, you want me to be prepared to win a championship, not to make a few more dollars um, because we played extra game. And so, it's, I mean, that's such a quick answer to that, but like. Um, I'll get back to you on the CBA, but right now I think it's I think it's in a good place. Okay, um, Sean, how many gold medals will Simone <laughs> Simone win? Simone Biles, all of them, all of the medals, all of the medals, <laughs> all of the medals. I I will stand by it. I think she's the greatest gymnast our sport has ever seen and will probably ever see. So one of the greatest athletes, period. Yeah, I mean, she. I've tried to like explain it to people who don't understand gymnastics, but there's a rule book that is made and it's every skill within like comprehension that has values to it. And they had to rewrite the book because she was doing things that people could not comprehend. She's, she's incredible. And finally for the panel, um, 500,000 athletes are playing in the NCAA right now. 1% of those end up going pro. So if you're a student athlete, say, in the audience who is listening to you guys, what should, and they realize this isn't the question, they realize they're not going to go pro, what advice would you have for them in terms of preparing for the next thing? Justin has said this in different ways a million times tonight. Leverage your contacts while you can. Be the person who shows up on time. Be the person who calls when they say they're going to. If you say, yes, I can do this, do it, and then come back. Create that kind of trusting relationship while you kind of have the leverage and uh, the, the fact that you play sports and someone actually cares enough to give you time, take advantage of it and leverage it. And just think about it from this perspective, right? All of us, you know, play for a school somewhere, right? I don't know which, you know, what, what this room com compromises of, but, you know, think about everybody that is at that school. I went to Notre Dame. If I wouldn't have played football, I know for a fact that the powers of being Notre Dame wants to connect me with alumni, wants to connect me with people who are gonna help me you know, transition to that next world, right? Because it just makes them look better. Oh, look at Justin. He didn't, you know, instead of talking about me as a, a football player, they can say, oh, he's a titan of business too, right? And trust me, I don't know about your school, but at Notre Dame, the titans of business are, are doing pretty well when they come back to campus compared to me. I'm just the lowly guy that they bring around that looks pretty. But there's some, there's some, there's some alumni at Notre Dame that, you know, these guys are, are, and gals are really making difference. And it, like, so for me, I've always tried to leverage the people around me because they want to help. Just don't shake hands with anybody on the panel. We're doing the elbow <laughs> thing. Well, if I could give all of the medals to everyone here, thank you so much for sharing your time, sharing your insights. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.